Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. This is an excerpt from Ravel's composition, Le Tambeau de Couperon. Every instrument you hear is a real instrument that's being performed. It's not a virtual instrument. It's not MIDI. And, uh, oh yeah, it's all being played by the same person. This is the Ron Ford Orchestra, and it has exactly one member, Ron Ford. And we'll be talking to him today about that, about his experience with the theater, all of the instruments he plays, and actually quite a bit more. And hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 15. I'm going to keep this introduction short because the interview runs rather long, but it's a very interesting interview, and I'm not going to offer any more spoilers than I have already. But I want to go ahead and just say welcome. Uh, I know with each episode uh, that we release, we get a few new listeners, and I just want to say uh, thank you for checking us out. And I just want to just remind everybody, it's so important that if this podcast is of any value to you, that you please share it with your friends uh, and that you please offer a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. These are the things that can help us more easily be seen by other listeners. And again, as you know, you're listening to this, this is a topic that very few podcasts discuss Look, there are plenty of podcasts about theater. There are plenty of podcasts about musicians. There aren't many podcasts about musicians who play for theater. So, again, if this means something to you, please share it with as many people as you know that might be interested, and please offer a rating and review. And feel free to send me a comment or private message, just anything that you think would be something that we should talk about. Or um, sometimes maybe I get a a fact wrong, you know, let me know about it. Okay, today we are talking with Dr. Ronald Ford. Uh, I just know him as Ron, and we'll be talking to him. He is a multi-instrumentalist. He specializes in woodwinds, but he also plays strings, and um, he's put some projects together using all of his skills he also has quite a story um, of just some things that have happened in the last few years uh, on the road to getting his doctorate, which was just a little over a year ago that that journey was complete. Ron Ford is a visiting professor at University of North Carolina School of the Arts, an adjunct instructor at Forsyth Tech Community College and at Guilford Technical Community College and in addition to just a lot of other musical hats that he wears, and, of course, musical theater. Here is my conversation with Ron Ford. And it's my pleasure today to be talking to Ron Ford. It's actually Ronald Ford, but I I first heard you as Ron. Is that is that okay to call you Ron? <laughs> yeah, I actually go by Ron more in most uh, cases, so Ron is perfectly fine with me. Well, just comes off the tongue quicker i guess <laughs> when you're trying to exactly say um 
So uh, how have you been handling yourself during this uh, pandemic since March? You know what? Honestly, it's been okay. Uh, I've been busy. Uh, I teach at a a few universities, so I've been busy the entire time, basically. (laughs) Yeah. were Were you entirely online during that time? Yeah, so at one school, uh, sorry, at two schools actually, I teach online anyway. Uh, so that's been, you know, the easy transition. Um, moving my in-person classes that were more performance-based to an online instruction was interesting, but it worked out in the end. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, eventually we're gonna we're gonna talk about your instruments because I know there's a lot of instruments that we'll have to talk about. But uh, before I do that, I thought of a of something else really just this week. Um, at least in my circle, I think you're one of the first musicians that I know who started regularly using a tablet in performances rather than having to deal with just the paper book. Uh, so, uh, and that was probably several years ago. So when did you first get into that? Uh, and, and were, were you the first to your knowledge or did, did someone else inspire you to start doing that? Um, I want to say I was doing my doctorate. So I want to say probably around 2011, maybe 2012, early in 2012. Um, there weren't many people doing it, at least, I know, as I know of. I, I don't say I was the first, of, of course. Right. But um, as soon as I saw the idea, I was like, this is, this is perfect. I was already using my computer a lot of times to read music off of before I was sitting in my office. Instead of pulling you know, paper out, I'll just pull it up on my computer and read it. It was a great way to catalog all my music and keep it all in one place also. So I just used Dropbox to you know, hold all my music and access whenever I needed to. Um, so it was a great way to keep everything organized and much more organized than paper was. <laughs> yeah, I have an outdoor performance coming up, and I've, uh, I've just never bought an iPad. I've used Jennifer's when I've had to, but we're both playing outdoors, and so yeah. like, I better go and get one because page turns just aren't an option. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, doing a lot of weddings outside and having to turn pages in the wind or needing to turn page in the middle of uh, whatever piece we're playing for that wedding, and, you know, Having a closed pen on a piece of music when you need to turn a page is not <laughs> helpful when you're playing an instrument that you need both hands to actually play the, play one note on the instrument. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, so have you ever uh, have you ever done the math on this? How many instruments do you play? And I guess there's probably a different way to answer that. Like I, I used to have a list of instruments that I could play Happy Birthday on, and it was quite a bit. <laughs> now, uh-huh. <laughs> if I said, you know, instruments that I could play at at least a high school band level, that probably cut way in half, you know. And then if I said, you know, instruments that I could play on a collegiate level, you know, we were down to about three or four. <laughs> um, so however you want to answer that, it's up to you. But how many instruments do you play? All right, so I'll do the kind of quick and long answer of it, I guess. That's fine. Uh, the quick answer is uh, all basically orchestral woodwinds and orchestral strings. Okay. Um, so flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, saxophone, uh, even recorder, uh, violin, viola, and cello, and a little bit of bass too. And to the point of also playing the auxiliary instruments, so things like piccolo and alto flute, uh, oboe, English horn, and oboe de more, you know, all the clarinets. I have a huge collection of clarinets, actually, of all different sizes. Uh, the only really auxiliary instrument I haven't played was contrabassoon, which I really want to play one day. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, soprano, alto, tenor, berry, saxophones, uh, I have soprano, alto, tenor, recorders, 
Uh, and then I actually have two violins, viola, and a cello. So I have a string quartet. <laughs> nice. Now, uh, not playing contrabassoon, that's, uh, pro- I assume that's more of due to the lack of access to one more than <laughs> not access just playing Access and, and money. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like in a lot of schools, like, uh, I know a lot of high schools, you can go, you can go, you know, check out their horn or their euphonium or even their tuba, but... Uh, they don't typically have a contrabassoon on on stock. Right, not um, you get to the collegiate level at least, and even then, it's it's a hassle to try to, um, you know, work around getting the getting the contra from people who are actually using it in like band and or orchestra. <laughs> right. When I was in high, uh, when I was in college, I wrote a symphony for wind ensemble, and uh, I really needed a low, long, loud, sustained C one. And the only uh-huh. instrument I could think of in the band was contrabassoon. So uh, I made my my college wind ensemble go to another university to borrow <laughs> one. <laughs> so, but uh, the person who played it is like, as soon as, soon as they played, because it, it was their first time playing the contrabassoon, oh, wow. they're like, "This is really cool." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a real fun instrument. I've carried it a lot. Um, when we were at School of the Arts, when we moved to the new music building, we had to walk about a huge flight of stairs. Um, the contrabassoon player, who owned her own contra, uh, wasn't even using the school contra, and her case was this big, wooden, heavy case. And I oftentimes just carried it up the stairs for her uh, from one building to the next building. It, you know, it's a good, it was a good flight of stairs. I forget how many stairs it is now, uh, but we used to count them all the time just because I knew, like, I'm almost at the end. I'm almost at the end. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, some, some people think it's odd that I count the stairs wherever I go. Um, but I think that started when, you know, I started, like, carrying things where I can't really see my feet clearly. And, exactly. you know, I got to know, okay, once I get to the 10th step, I can stop stepping down or whatever stepping up Um, exactly or after step 10 i have a little level area before i have to step again for 10 more steps (laughs) yeah you know the very first sherlock holmes short story in adventures of sherlock holmes he he's giving a demonstration and observation he's asking dr watson how many steps are leading up to the up to there and you know dr watson doesn't know but, you know, Sherlock Holmes tells him what it is, and he says, and, and I know that because I've observed it. And I'm always telling my students, you know, musicians, if they're good musicians, tend to be very observant because you have to. You have to notice a lot of information in your score. And while you're doing that, you have to notice, especially in the theater, what the conductor's doing. Uh, you have to notice uh, this doesn't sound right. The actor must have skipped ahead, and we're in, we're measure ahead now. <laughs> so, exactly. So your Reacting powers of observation, stimuli. yeah, your powers of observation just have to be really acute. Uh, so let me go back to the instrument question and ask it another way. Now, what uh, what are the instruments that you have received formal instruction on versus the ones that that are self taught? Yeah. So um, during my doctorate, I took lessons actually on flute, piccolo. Uh, oboe, 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 and English horn. Uh, I did lessons on E flat, B flat, A, and bass clarinet, uh, bassoon, and saxophone. Um, I even took lessons on Baroque flute and Baroque oboe for a while. Um, and then I took violin lessons as a kid in high school. Um, even had a a viola lesson from uh, Dr. Scott Rawls at UNCG. Mm-hmm. Um, guess because he he heard I played viola and stopped me in the hallway and said, "You're coming to play a lesson for me." Right. <laughs> um, and then, 
Yeah, I guess those are the only ones I've took lessons. I, the only ones I haven't formally taken lessons on were like cello, um, which I've had, you know, informal lessons, uh, but not anything truly formal. And uh, technically recorder, I haven't had any lessons on either, which is ironic. I've never played recorder until I started getting paid to play recorder. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, in your doctorate, it actually, is it is it officially known as... Uh your instrument as multiple woodwinds is, isn't that, or is no, that just the, what it was? <laughs> that's kind of how I, how I structured it. So my doctorate is technically an oboe performance, mm-hmm. uh, but I did a cognate in multiple woodwinds. Right now, oboe is your primary instrument. You can say that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the instrument I had the most, uh, most training in. Right. Um, I always said that the primary instrument is whatever I'm getting paid to play at the moment. Right. <laughs> that's true. And that's what gets my practice time. Right. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so all this kind of leads into the, the next thing. And I played a clip when we opened our episode. Uh, you, you've had a project. Uh, I, I, I didn't check how far back it goes, at least two or three years called the Ron Ford Orchestra. Uh, just tell us how you got the idea for that and how, how that got going. And, and, and specifically also how you do the video recording of it, because that's really fascinating. You know, all these versions of you are on screen at the same time playing <laughs> uh, all of these instruments. You know, it's actually interesting. I started this this project a long time ago, really. Um, I would even go back to when I was a kid, and I would do something very low-tech version of, like, playing a recording of me playing violin. Um, like, I would record myself playing, like, the Brandenburg Concerto, like Brandenburg Three. Then I would record myself, uh, not record, but I would play that recording back, and then essentially play a duet with myself playing, like, another part to the to that. Uh, concerto um and that was using like old tape deck when i was i want to say middle or high school right uh and then when i got to college i kind of stopped doing that because i was really focused on playing oboe and at school of the arts they kind of wanted you to focus on one instrument um but then around 2000 maybe seven um sometime like with after my first year teaching at some state i you know, sit in the office sometimes. I would sometimes practice at school just because I lived in an apartment and was trying not to, you know, disturb my neighbors. And I knew if I was really bored at night, I could just stay there late at night and practice for a while and not disturb anyone. Um, and I would start recording myself with a really small microphone playing random parts to an orchestra. I guess it's truly just audio. Um, so one of the first ones I did was the opening to Mendelssohn, I believe it's Mendelssohn 3, um, the chorale at the beginning of it. Yeah. I just started recording with that. And then I did other things like the Capriccio uh, Espanol. I did the Old Castle. Um, I recorded that for music camp one year, I guess for the fun of it. And then um, I later on moved from my audio only recordings to adding video to it, which was an undertaking. <laughs> yes, I imagine. <laughs> the audio was a little easier. You know, I can see in a, in a, in a uh, digital audio workspace, you know, I can easily just record track by track by track. But having to record the video um, meant that, one, I had to do it all in one take. Um, two, I had to, you know, really sync up the video after the fact where the audio track automatically synced for me. Right. <laughs> so that was the, you know, another element that I had to work around, but it all worked out in the end. It was really fun to do. Uh, and then recently, I know you can kind of see back there, I bought a green screen. Right. Um, 
And actually, that's the second green screen. I had a smaller one before, and I guess about this gigantic one that reaches all the way down to the floor. So I could uh, essentially sit in a chair and put myself onto a actual stage uh, and overlay, like have a actual multiple violin parts uh, or like multiple first violin parts playing along with me instead of having like pre-recorded myself playing some of the violin parts and adding that into the video recordings. Right. What's your uh, video editing software? Um, I use a free one actually called VSDC. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, the website, I think you can just search VSDC video editor and it, it was free. I, you know, this was my first time trying it out. I didn't want to pay for something really expensive. Um, and then it worked really well. So I just kept using it. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that's, I, I hadn't really heard of that one. That one's, uh, uh, you know, the work is good. It, I was just thinking, hearing you describe the process, it seems like it might be easier to record all of the audio first and then just almost imitate playing everything visually. And then you could, it, it, while you play the recording back, you know, right. That's kind of how what they I do kinda, it in like, uh, you know, movie musicals, I believe. So. Right. What I kind of do, I do something similar to that. Usually I record all the parts once, mm -hmm. um, just to kind of get everything in there. I can hear intonation really well. And then I record myself playing with that, that version. So I'm playing along with it. So the, like the whole orchestra is playing in my head, um, but I'm still playing in my head. That's just, it sounds right. But <laughs> playing in my headphones. Right. Um, and then I'm playing along with it. So I'm getting usually even better intonation because I'm already listening to the other parts and reacting to, oh, this note needs to be a little higher. This one needs to be a little lower. Um, this one, if I do some extra vibrato here, it works really well with how the flute is playing when I'm playing oboe or something like that. So it's really cool to be able to do it that way. Um, and I kind of record the audio again. So it's a longer process, but I feel like it's a really cool and interesting process of you know listening to myself and I'm actually reacting to how I would normally play it rather than it just being, I'm kind of playing blindly in the dark and hoping that's in tune. Right. <laughs> Uh, so how old were you when you started envisioning yourself just playing all of these instruments? Were, were you in like high school or middle school? Gosh, so I I really started learning a lot of instruments pretty early on. Um, and when I was six, I started playing piano, you know, like a lot of kids did, you know, were younger. Um, I took piano lessons from six to nine Around nine, sometime I got tired of playing piano. It wasn't the instrument I wanted to, to do. Sorry, pianist out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Self-included, David. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I, then I started uh, joining choir, I think, when I got around nine or ten years old. Um, but it was really weird because it was around a voice change for me. My voice was cracking all over the place. You can, I'm, I'm a bass now. Right. Um, and in middle school, I was starting to like be able to sing bass parts really easily. Mm. Um, around sixth grade, I could sing low G, and then my voice started getting lower and lower and lower uh, from then. Right. Imagine, that's 11 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in, so I was doing a lot of voice changing when I was in, in choir for that first time, and I said, this isn't working because my instrument isn't it's not holding. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I, my dad played violin when he was a kid, and my grandparents had his violin at the house still. So I picked up the violin mm -hmm. uh, and started playing violin in fifth grade. Um, and then got to sixth grade when most people in North Carolina start playing a, a orchestral wind instrument. And everyone's starting off brand new. And me and one other person had some experience before. So 
I decided to pick up a new instrument. And I said, I'll learn the cello while everyone else is learning a brand new instrument. I'll pick up a brand new instrument also. So I started playing violin and cello in orchestra at some points. Like I would play with the seventh and eighth grades orchestras on violin and then I'd play with the sixth grade orchestra on cello. Um, and then somewhere in seventh grade, someone taught me how to read the clef. Okay. So I said, I'll pick up a viola. <laughs> nice. uh, and then I don't even remember by osmosis, somehow I picked up bass. My teacher, I think um, I was playing cello and orchestra one day. I would just kind of switch out instruments, you know, every day or a couple of days or every week or so um, and play random parts with the orchestra. And I was playing cello that day. And my teacher asked me to go back and play, help the basses out with some stability things that they were doing and just, you know, play along with them. I think she meant for me to take the cello and just play along with the bass part, but I go and pick up the bass and start playing it with them somehow. I guess listened enough that I understood how it worked and mechanics of the instruments. Um, so I remember one of my really good friends, uh, we'd been friends since like elementary school. I started playing the bass. He looks over, he was a bass player. He looked beside him like, really? You just literally picked this up today. Why are you playing my part? <laughs> um, and then, so I got to high school, and, and by this point, I'd learned, um, you know, piano, violin, viola, and cello, and bass. Um, and even sometimes during middle school, I would like do orchestral reductions at the piano of the music we were playing. Right. Which was so part of. I guess I got started arranging pretty early on too. Right. Um, and so I got to high school, and I'm in orchestra. Um, and I'm going, I want something else new to learn. So I decide to pick up, I was, I was going to try to uh, clarinet. I went to the band director and asked about clarinets. He said they didn't have any because it was middle of marching band season. They're all being used. Um, and I remember at music camp, I remember hearing a bad recording of an oboe. Mm -hmm. uh, and I go, huh, maybe I can do better. Yeah. <laughs> Me being arrogant little, you know, 14-year-old <laughs> right? Uh, decides, uh, I'll try the oboe. And my band director literally ran and got me the instrument. <laughs> like, oh. Quite literally. Not even a figurative run, but he actually literally ran and got the instrument. Um, his only oboist in the school was also his, like, principal flute player. So he kind of wanted him back on, on flute. Yeah. And that became the end of, uh, that's the beginning of that wind story, actually, I guess. Um, then I started, uh, flute and clarinet the next year and in, in like my 10th grade year. Um, and then 11th grade, sometime I learned, uh, saxophone and bassoon. Um, I learned saxophone cause I wanted to play in jazz band. I wanted to play the flute and jazz band cause it had some really cool flute, uh, Cuban jazz solos. And I was like, I want those solos. So I picked up the <laughs> saxophone like a, a few weeks before school, go into jazz band. They're looking at me like, you don't play the flute. You barely play a wind instrument. All of a sudden, I start playing along with them. They're going, when did you learn this? Like, oh, you know, a couple weeks ago. That's all. <laughs> right. um, and it's, it's, it's one of those weird things that I, I found I learned instruments pretty quickly. And I think it's because I look at how they work uh, and understand like taking it apart and looking at it and saying, oh, this is what this is what this key does, and this key does this, and this key closes these three things down, and this one only closes two things down. So I started seeing the mechanics of it and understanding how it worked, and it helped me uh, figure out how to play it easier. Right. And yeah. you, you brought back a lot of memories. I was just thinking, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize it until I started going through it in my head just now, but um, I, we, I heard oboes live for the first time in seventh grade, 
And then I, I moved in the middle of se- uh, seventh grade to a smaller town, and I didn't hear any live oboes in a performance group until I got to college. It's like there was no... But uh, in seventh grade, we had... It was beginning band for that, for that particular school, and uh-huh. I think there was at least four, maybe five oboe players who wow. had never played an instrument. And so the first time I heard live oboes, it was in unison from these people, and it sounded pretty much like bagpipes in an indoor yes. space. <laughs> and, yes. And I was, and, and I, I basically said, I don't really care for oboe. And then it might have been a few years later that I, that I heard the soundtrack to the mission, and I heard oh, yeah. Gabriel's oboe, the track, yes. and I was like, oh, this is what an oboe is supposed to sound like. <laughs> exactly. And, and then I played with, you know, really good oboe players from college onward. So, <laughs> so much higher opinion now, but uh, yeah, not definitely not at the time. Um, so let's take that over to theater. What, when did you get started in theater? Uh, how old were you? And do you remember what your first show was? Yeah, so my first actual show I played was somewhere in college. I can't remember the exact age. Um, it was probably around my junior, senior year. Um, I was playing with the community orchestra uh, in Winston-Salem, and uh, one of the players there was playing Annie Get Your Gun, and I needed a third violinist. I was playing violin with the orchestra at the time, uh, and he asked if I wanted to play, and I said, Sure. Um, I had never thought about playing music in a, in a theater show before. I never thought of that as a even career option or even as a music venue. That wasn't one of the areas that most people are, you know, uh, taught about going into. You know, we think about orchestral musicians and being in, in various wind ensembles, chamber musicians, um, you know, opera orchestras and that kind of stuff. But no one ever really talks about going into, you know, theater. Um, and that's so the reason actually, for this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so my first show was actually as a violinist, uh, even though this was while I was in school for oboe. <laughs> right. um, and that was Annie Get Your Gun at the, um, uh, what's the, the theater called? What was it called then? Uh, the Little Theater in Winston-Salem? Is that what it was Yeah, it's actually, it's full, it's full circle. It is that again. They, is that they again? Changed, okay. They changed it back a few years ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what it was with. Um, yeah, I, I can. I mean, I remember who was playing violin. I remember, actually, a lot of the players that were playing in that. Uh, Brian uh, Blauk was playing also. He was one of the replayers. Right. Uh, he was one of the first replayers I remember seeing doing what you know, I kind of started doing in high school, but was told that wasn't a real thing. You had to focus on one instrument. Right. Um, so that was like my first introduction into doing that. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want to do that. Like, so I think I started asking questions about the whole ordeal because it was, just, it was fascinating to me because that was one of those things that I, I was, uh, kind of was told that I couldn't do. And I was like, no, I really want to do this now. I see this as an option. Yeah, and just a reminder to the listeners, Brian Brian was episode seven, and actually, he, which came out today as we're doing this interview, so it just kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of dates where we are today. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and so you you've played strings and reeds for a show for shows before, yes. right? Yeah, yes. And sometimes I've done a couple of shows where I've played strings and reeds at the same time. <laughs> right. We also played. Was it next to normal or Spring Awakening that you had to have? Next to normal, I had to play keyboard also. I programmed and played the keyboard for that show. Right. Which was a whole nother undertaking that I had never done before with the programming part. Right. (laughs) Uh, But that seems to be kind of 
it, I think you're wired so that if someone gives you something you haven't done before, that's actually a good thing for you rather than horrifying. I, I do find it exciting. I like playing new shows that I haven't done before, and I like playing uh, new parts even in shows that I've done before. So, like, for when we did Wizard of Oz um, in uh, Community Theater of Greensboro, I liked playing a different part each year. I didn't like playing the same part because right. I liked having something new. I didn't. I didn't want to feel complacent in just the one thing. Right. I also like going in and subbing on shows randomly just because, like, oh, I get the sight read. And it's like getting, keeping my brain really active and moving instead of being kind of stuck in the same, you know, same book the entire time. Yeah. I'm weird, though. Oh, no. Oh, no, I, I don't – not really, though. I, I find most of the theater musicians, people who go into pits, uh, if they're doing well at that, they have to have that crave of a challenge but i think there is a there is a limit for everybody because i i like the challenge of uh, so many things but one time i i had to substitute and sight read la caja fall as oh yeah as keyboard one music director and i didn't know the show and i couldn't see the stage and oh no <laughs> and uh it's like a bunch of five and six sharp keys signatures and just um yes and it was I... one of those i actually cried in relief when it was done it was just <laughs> <laughs> Pro- by far the most stressful experience i've had but uh uh, you know, most things don't quite approach that limit. So yeah, no, I, I haven't had to do that yet. Luckily, right. I've had, actually I did have to sub that show once. Uh, it was in Hickory, and one of the uh, people that plays the Western Piedmont Symphony uh, asked. He knew about my well, woodwind playing. Like, we have a guy that can't do this show. There's no one else around here that can do this show. This time, I know you're in Greensboro. It's a, it's a hike, but can you do this? I'm like, I'm actually free those couple of days. Right. Let's go for it. Right. <laughs> So I went out and did a, a rehearsal and um, a show with them. And that was my first time actually using the uh, in-air monitors, too, um, because they had us all on monitors um, because the conductor was almost out of view for us. Uh, so she would count us in very quietly, one, two, three, four, right before we start playing. But it was you know pretty loud on our monitors, which is great. It was a really interesting experience. Right. Uh, well, before we leave um, the Ron Ford Orchestra behind, you know, for, for to go on to other topics. Uh, so is there a plan to get some brass instruments and learn the brass, too? <laughs> oh, I actually tried brass for a while it, right at the end of high school. Um, if I I told myself if I learned a brass instrument, it was going to be horn because that was the one that I felt the closest to the Woodwind family that I was already in. Right. Um, and, you know, playing in woodwind quintets and even playing in youth symphony, you know, the horn was usually playing with the woodwind players instead of playing with, well, also playing with the brass, but it had this kind of dual role. Right. Um, but I tried horn and it was a horrible, horrible uh, mistake. <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting to me because, uh, you know, I, French horn was my band instrument. And then in college, we had to take all of what are called the methods class. You take woodwind yeah. methods, string methods. And, and the first thing i tried was clarinet we actually i don't know why we had a whole class devoted a semester class to clarinet and then all the other woodwinds were in another class but uh clarinet was one of my two b's that i made in a class for (laughs) music throughout college you know it's like uh and a music class i i I made i didn't make a's in all of my academics but uh, (laughs) and uh and the other one was was electronic music my last semester. Now it's just because I shouldn't have taken it. I was had a senior recital going, and I just willingly said, 
I got to check out of something here. So I right. pretty much checked out of that. I'd, I'd had two semesters of it already. And I was like, I don't have time to do this kind of a project right now. But understandable. Um, <laughs> when I got to woodwind methods, though, I mean, it took two weeks of flute before I felt like I wasn't going to pass out. And we got to midterm and I had a B in that. But then the second half was double reads. And first thing I noticed was the brass embouchure actually prepares me for this. It's like kind of gripping that mm -hmm. reed with the lip pressure that you can't use on the clarinet, but you right. you have to use on. So like bassoon was was great. You know, it's like I uh, I mean, I couldn't quite get, you know, very much higher than, you know, an F4. But, uh, you know, I, yeah. I only had like. Uh, guess what three or four weeks on it you know so it wasn't too bad but i got to where that uh, that actually sounded pretty good the oboe uh, was a little harder but but it was much better than clarinet or flute so i just kind of reversed <laughs> that and thought you know someone who's proficient on double reeds might not have a super hard time on brass but uh, i would I, it'll be interesting to try now but my high school version of me i the goal was i was going to try to play a concert a I said, all right, I'm going to try to play a concert. Hey, here's the fingering. Here's what the note sounds like. And I go to play, and something else completely different comes out. I'm like, okay, I'll try to play that note again. And then I go to play that note again, and something completely different comes out again. Still not an A. Right. I was like, okay, I'll try to play that note. It, it happened over and over again. And the point is like, I can't repeat the same note. <laughs> yeah. And then I said, okay, I got to go have a gig on. Uh, I was playing at a church. Uh, like, you know, in a couple of days, I'm like, okay, let me go practice flute for this gig. Um, so I went to play the flute and I couldn't play. I was going, oh, oh, okay, so horn, you're not, you're messing up my flute, I'm sure, right now. So you're going to go away. Right. The flute is making me money. I'm, I got to play this later on this week. So horn, you can go away. Right. My band director is going to be at the gig because he loaned me the horn from school. And I said, I'll just give the the horn back to him at the gig. <laughs> right. Well, the thing with brass instruments, uh, and I think it's just the only family that can say this, is it's all about understanding the overtone series for your instrument. And, uh, you know, a lot of people know that French horn is the hardest of the brass instruments, but they don't understand why. And it's because its practical range, what it's used most, is uh, it's on the, the last overtone. Yeah, it's on yeah. the second half of the overtone series where the notes are closer yes. together. Whereas if you play anything else, trombone, tuba, trumpet, euphonium, it you you can go all the way to the bottom of the overtone series. Right. But you're closer to the actual fundamental sound. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand this overtone. Uh, for flute, um, I practice a lot of overtones with my students right. um, and getting them to understand like, how close those postures are when we get up higher and and you know we can actually start to play melodies almost when we're in our highest partials. Right. Um, so I can I, I completely understand that, and right. <laughs> that's why it was so horrible for me. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, at least I have a couple of octaves uh, before they start getting into like thirds. Right. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's talk about let's go back to your doctorate. So a normal doctorate is a two or three year experience. You know, to, for I mean, well, it could could go a little longer than that, depending on the complexity of it. But let's mm -hmm. just say three years is kind of maybe a median, you know, average. But your journey, I think, took longer than that. And uh, and talk about yeah. what were what were some of the obstacles uh, that lengthened that process? Yeah. So uh, the doctorate usually is for a music doctorate, at least, uh, is set out for three years of coursework. Mm -hmm. um, and then some people are fortunate enough to write their dissertation in that last year. Some people take another year to write their dissertation, and that's, you know, that, that year. Um, 
so I did my coursework in three years like I was supposed to and had an assistantship and did did all that. Um, the year after I finished my coursework, my I was getting ready to write my dissertation on my former professor from School of the Arts, uh, John Ellis, mm-hmm. who was an uh, amazing film musician. He played in a lot of um, popular film mus- film scores. Uh, one of the, I think, most famous ones was like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where he was uh, the the keyboard that was playing on the for the ship. He was that sound. Right. Um, and he played all three oval parts for that sound. Wow. Um, so I, you know, I was going to write about him and his, he had a really unique read making style, which I still use today. Um, that was really characteristic of people who were playing in those Hollywood films. Um, but he got, he had a stroke back in 2009 and then, uh, in, uh, about, 2014 or so, uh, he got diagnosed with cancer. Um, so he was, you know, going through chemo and radiation treatments, uh, and was, you know, I was trying to get to interview him. Um, and you know, he, he was feeling really weak a lot of times and wasn't up to the interview, which I completely understood. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. So I understand, you know, a lot of the complications that go along with the treatments, uh, on firsthand basis. Cause I, you know, I was watching my mom go through it. Um, so he was really weak and, you know, wasn't ever talking. Um, and, you know, we kept pushing back the interview date. I kept pushing back the interview date. And then eventually he uh, passed away. Uh, yeah. So that was the first, like, hurdle that I had to jump over. It was my first person source, like, of the, all the information I needed was is now gone. I have to find other ways to, you know, find information about him, which was proving to be uh, very difficult. Um you know, posting out on message boards uh, for Obus to anybody had studied under the same person that he did uh, and trying to find other, like his uh, Obo siblings, I guess you could think of them as, right. uh, uh, who were making reason that same way because the, the project was focused, you know, solely on his read making. Um, and then those links started coming like a year or so later after the fact. So it was like along the lab, we get like one or two replies and then all of a sudden, like later on, I would get more people who studied with him or studied um, uh, with his teacher uh, started coming into the fray again. It was like all of a sudden I would, I would get traction again. Um, and then in towards the end of that, I started writing um, and was getting really like good ideas and getting things down and getting research done. Um, and then in 2017, I started getting sick, but I didn't think anything of it. Um, I thought it was just like I was just getting stressed out because my, you know, I was teaching uh, at two two colleges, teaching I think like six or eight courses uh, uh-huh. between two schools. Um, it was you know October, November ish, and you know it's heavy time for you know for musicals in this area, um, and also the symphony that I play in was also doing uh, concerts. Uh, subbing in other symphonies in the area, so I was I was working. I was yeah, like, not a much tight. of a social life at this point. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, social with other musicians. Right. That's really about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, I'm thinking I'm tired. That makes sense. I'm working a lot right now. So I, you know, did the getting a thing thing of it. You know, I'm like my fatigue is just me being tired. That's kind of normal around this time of year. Um, and then it got you know around Christmas time. Still very busy time for a musician. You know, I'm also turning in final grades and you know for six to eight classes. So I was heavily working right. uh, from 
on all aspects in all uh, areas at the time, but I was also still writing my paper. So that was also getting stressful because I knew I had a deadline of coming up like this is my seven, in my seven years and this is the end of the normal extensions that I can do. Um, so fast forward to the next semester uh, in March of 2018, I started getting really sick. Like my body was trying to shut down on me. Um, and I ended up in the hospital, uh, like I ended up going to actually going to ER and they thought I had um, norovirus, which is the thing you get like on cruise ships a lot. Um, and it was very contagious. So they, you know, sent me home for a while. This is right after spring break. Um, so I essentially taught the first half of the semester at both schools I was teaching at. Um, and then it never got better. So I, you know, went to the ER again. Um, they, you know, kept trying to figure out what was wrong with me because it was really odd symptoms that, you know, they didn't think was anything else, uh, especially for being, let's see, that was two years ago. So I was 34. So, you know, they didn't think anything was going to be really that serious of, you know, me being pretty young still. Um, and then all of a sudden I had a hundred, a fever of over 102. Oh. Um, I yeah, I was sitting at home, uh, my husband and I, and the kids were you know, sitting in the living room and I am freezing. I was literally sitting in the, in the living room. Uh, they had left to go get some food or something and came back and I was in the living room, turned the heat up and had a blanket on me because I was just cold and I couldn't warm up. Um, at least the air around me was uh, colder than I was, I'm guessing is what the issue was. So he checked my temperature and then called my mom and said, come here, take care of the king, keep the kids while we go to the ER. Uh, and he drove me to the ER and it started snowing. It, it was crazy. Uh, yeah. It started snowing as we were on the way to the ER. You know, this is like in March or April almost. So, you know, this was really bizarre. Um, and I ended up, uh, not that time, but I ended up that time in the hospital for five days. Um, and then, you know, they set up some tests for me to do. Uh, and before I could even take those tests, my body essentially shut down again. And I essentially ended up in the hospital for a stay the next time for 29 days. Wow. Yeah, I had like 14 days before I had surgery and they said, you're gonna have to have surgery. Um, I had ulcer I had ulcerative colitis uh, and they had to essentially remove my colon. Hmm. Um, and I couldn't eat anything for a while. Like I was, but I wasn't getting any smaller. I was like gaining weight somehow, huh. but I was not eating. So this was, you know, my body was, was shutting down on itself. Um, but then after my surgery, you know, I was just there, I was still doing my work. I was still like grading papers and grading discussion boards and trying to figure out, yeah, you know, transitioning my face-to-face -face class to an online class. Um, I was still doing all that work still. Um, and, you know, it was one of those moments where I'm like, I, the semester ended and I was just sitting there in the hospital bed, you know, I was busy. So I could kind of keep my mind off of, you know, everything that was going on around me to some extent, you know, it was still hurting. It was still like mentally, you know, it's going through all the emotions, but at least I knew I had some kind of, you know, goal in mind outside of the hospital bed. I was like, okay, the semester is, I got this to do and this to do. So I'd wake up with some kind of purpose in the morning. Um, after the semester ended, I kind of lost that purpose because I didn't have anything else to do. Um, and I told my husband, can you bring me my flute? 
uh, I need something to keep me occupied while I'm here. And I checked with the nurses. They were that that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, I think that would help with your, your, you know, all the breathing stuff you need to do anyway. Um, so he brought me the flute kind of reluctantly at first, um, but he brought it to me uh, along with my um, my tablet and uh, some charger so I can keep up the charge and you know look up new music and stuff. So I started playing flute in the hospital bed, um, and my nurses would like all of a sudden just come around me and, you know, be surprised, you know, how well, all of a sudden I started feeling a lot better. Right. Um, and it was, it's an amazing experience, but I wish it didn't have to happen in that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was all of a sudden like my recovery time, like shot, it got so much shorter. It was just amazing to, to, to be able to recover in a really unique way. Um, so I started recording videos of me playing flute while I was in the hospital. Um, there's a flute etude of the week, uh, like Facebook group. Right. And I just started recording those etudes along with them. Um, I, you know, was just working on things randomly playing whatever I could just think of at the moment, whatever I could pull up on my tablet. You know, I had a bunch of solo music and I wasn't going for playing like for Kofi for anything <laughs> too <Right>. crazy, <laughs> but you know, I would like pull up some nice orchestral excerpts every now and again, like the Carmen intermezzo or like the Bra Brahms for flute excerpt. Uh, I play some of the Piazzolla etudes, uh, and just other, you know, kind of really fun stuff. And I, that's when I started walking around again. I started, you know, wanting to get out to bed. I started moving around, you know, uh, getting out of the bed and playing, sitting in the chair and playing, um, you know, still hunched over, you know, in pain because I had my abdomen ripped from basically from my chest to below my belly button. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, but it, it helped heal the pain. Uh, the inspirational uh, spirometer, I could not blow into that at all before I started playing the flute. And all of a sudden when I started playing the flute, I tested way beyond what I needed to do for that. So I said, okay, I know I have to have two more surgeries after this. So I'm bringing the flute with me to the, like, to in, before I even uh, uh, go back to the room, I know I had the flute with me. And so when I get back to my room, I can start that treatment, that, that healing process again, because that made it, I don't know if that made it faster, but it helped me think about something else other than me sitting in a hospital bed for, like I said, a month, literally at that time. Right. Wow. Have you been stable since then? Uh, yeah. Um, I had my two surgeries to reverse the ostomy I had. Um, I, the last surgery was actually December, right? The day after I had my actual graduation ceremony, mm. <laughs> I had to go into surgery. Uh, so we couldn't really, I, I had the ceremony. I couldn't really celebrate because, you know, I couldn't eat after a certain time. So we ate really early that, that, that afternoon right before the ceremony. And then I knew that I had, um, I couldn't eat after like two o'clock or something, or maybe it was noon. Um, so I, you know, loaded up on, on energy before I had to go walk across the stage. And then, you know, I had surgery the next day. I could barely sleep that evening because I, I just graduated. I finally, I graduated in the summer technically, but in December, I'm like, I just got my, my, uh, my regalia and I'm excited. And also I had this surgery, this like life changing surgery for me at least. And it felt like I was getting my, my body back to, to where it was before. Um, and wasn't, getting afraid about like playing oboe was putting pressure on my abdomen. So it was starting to hurt every now and again. So it was, you know, nice to be able to go back to kind of a sense of normalcy, at least for what normal was beforehand. Right. And it was, it's, you know, 
really it's really nice to be able to do all that again without having to worry about anything. Right. Well, I feel like going from that story to my last few questions <laughs> seems quite a bit trivial, but uh, yeah, but, no, but, of course. But let's go let's ahead and it. go to them anyway. So, what's the worst thing? Uh, I, I and mean, I don't even think it'll compare to you know just what you had to go through. But what's the worst thing within a show that's ever happened while you're playing? So. Um, one of the funniest things during the show, I guess it's funny and like a horror story at the same time. Uh, we were playing Oklahoma. I was actually subbing for Oklahoma uh, at Elon University. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing second violin. Um, and your wife actually was playing viola with me. Right. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, my violin keeps going out of tune. And I tune it up and it keeps going back out of tune. And all of a sudden, we hear this loud pop. Hmm. And my violin essentially explodes. Right. <laughs> the tailpiece gut had uh, stripped, and my strings uh, went flying. Still connected to the to the scroll, so into the, the peg, so the, they just went flying forward. My bridge flew off somewhere. Um, it was just like just explosion of violin, but it, and it sounded like a gunshot. Yeah. But you know, it was just, this is like the fourth number uh, in the show, and. There's no gunshots until later on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, but all of a sudden, um, I'm sitting there with my violin, like, in pieces, and I'm looking down, like, what in the world do I do? And I'm like, okay, Uh, my teacher at School of the Arts was a repairman, so I always had this, like, like, how can I fix this moment? And I look around, like, I kind of, like, this is what happened. Okay, I see what happened. There's a little piece, a little uh, nut that goes on the end of the tailpiece gut, and I was like, it's a little golden piece. Let's find it. (laughs) <laughs> and mind you, you know, we're in a theater pit. It's dark. Right. The only thing on is stand lights. And I didn't have a stand light on because I was using my tablet. So, you know, the uh, person beside me, uh, the, the first violinist, Uli, he had his stand light on. And I all of a sudden see on the floor under a stand a little glimmer of light. It was my tailpiece gut nut. So right. I put it back on and start to, you know, get it on. And then all of a sudden, like an angel, uh, Jennifer passes me her violin. Right. Because she had her double... <laughs> She had her double had case double, and had both yeah, instruments. She was, she was teaching violin earlier that day, I think, and had yeah. her double case with her and just passed me the violin yeah. out of her case while she was playing viola. And it was just like this really, like, it feels like an angelic experience because all of a sudden it's like this this, this instrument gets passed to me. And then I played right. the rest of the show on her violin. And the next morning um, I go to the music store and uh, buy a new tailpiece gut and I fix it the next day. Uh, someone asked me like later on, is your violin okay? Like, yes, I'm playing it right now. Right. <laughs> Literally the next day. Um, but it was a bizarre, fun and hor- funny horror story. Um, and your wife and I have had many of those together. Right. Well, that almost seems like a fun moment too, because it's a horror story with a happy ending. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was really, it was a really interesting experience. Uh, I hope I don't have to relive that one again, but no. you know, I know what to do now, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I was just, uh, I was just kind of looking at, uh, you know, the episode schedule and, and looks like quite possibly you'll be somewhere around episode 15. It's, it's hard to, oh. hard to tell at this point, but, uh, I'm positive that in the 14 episodes before this, we didn't mention something that you just said was it's dark in the pit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mentioned uh, in episode seven, how we're in tight quarters, you know, for, you know, for right. the first time, but, but it's also dark down there. And some, 
Uh, now, if it's a true pit, you can usually have a normal stand light, but sometimes the musicians are visible enough. They're like, no, nah, put this blue gel tape over the light. So we, exactly. so it's like, not I even only... had to like uh, blue my screen or do the like, amber color on my tablet screen before and yeah. put it very dim. <laughs> yeah. The last show I, I used, um, you know, I think, uh, I think both, both Brian and Tyke were, were the read players, you know, at various points and they had a, um, you know, they both each used an iPad of some kind, mm-hmm. and they were both asked, "Could you please, you know, angle so that the audience can't see your iPad?" <laughs> you know, because right. it's kind of facing that way. So it's kind of funny. Not only, it's dark, all you have is your stand light, and sometimes you'll have the the people in charge of the production saying, "That's too much light. You got to dim that a little exactly. bit." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, say- that's even the funnier thing. Like even with my stands, I've had to. Uh, I have on my flute stand. I painted um, uh, glow-in-the-dark tape mm. on the stand. So when the lights are actually on, you know, the, it kind of charges up the, the tape, the, not the tape, but the paint, and then it charges up the paint. And then in the dark, I can see a little tiny circle. That's where my flute goes. Uh, mm. Or a ring around my clarinet stand. That's where my clarinet goes. I can see these little pieces of stands because, you know, we're that far in the dark that I just need something to help reflect or glow. <laughs> right. Nice. Uh, what would you say is the most difficult book that you've had to play for theater? So um, one of the most difficult ones, I was thinking about this earlier, was um, In the Heights. Oh, okay. Uh, it was the first show that I actually played Barry Sachs on. I actually bought the Barry Sachs just to play that book. Right. Um, uh, it was seven instruments. It was flute, piccolo, clarinet, and then soprano, alto, tenor, and barry saxophones. Wow. Um, I was literally sitting in a like semicircle of instruments. Right. Um, at one point, like I remember the first uh, rehearsal, the drummers and I got there at the same time, and they almost finished loading in faster than I did. Mm. <laughs> um, and then I remember that rehearsal too. The trumpet player sat in my chair just to see what it was like and said, "This is intimidating." <laughs> <laughs> But the book also was pretty hard. Uh, I mean, it has some difficult parts in it. Um, I do remember, like, playing Barry for the first time was interesting. Um, I hopefully got better at Barry now, I think. Uh, But it was one of those things that, you know, playing the upper three saxophones was no problem for me. And all of a sudden playing Barry, I'm going, why am I struggling? but one of my friends said when he played my Barry, like I was like, you play Barry a lot. Can you play mine just to make sure that something I'm not missing something? It's not me. Like, no, your Barry takes a lot of air. It takes more air than I'm used to, and it sucks all the air out of me. I'm like, okay, so I'm that's what I'm feeling. <laughs> right. So that was a one of the most difficult shows I've played. It was also very fun though. Once I got used to it, like like I said, I like a challenge. So it was one right. of those things. You know, holding a Barry sax while playing tenor sax and switching quickly back and forth, um, you know, playing like flute with a, a saxophone across my lap so I can change in like two measures of a really fast tempo back to tenor sax and play a solo. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, the music itself wasn't horrible, but there was a lot of fast switches because it was a, a reduction from one book to a sorry from two read books to one read book that was used for touring productions right yeah um what is uh what's a bucket list musical that you haven't had a chance to play yet so even though i've I've actually played it i want to play west side story again okay um 
I played it when I was really young, and I, I kind of want to do it now with the, hopefully, I think, at least now, better chops. Right. Uh, and um, when I did it before, too, I was mostly playing a violin book, uh, and I kind of wrangled in a couple of wind book wind parts when it was needed because they didn't have all the wind players there. And I said, well, we're not playing violin in this, in this one. I can play, like, flute in cover or flute or clarinet or something in this in this area where the flutes and clarinets are exposed and you need some extra you know, extra parts being covered. Um, so I did that, but I really want to play just one of the read books now. Right. Uh, that's been one of my shows that I know Taiki and I have been trying to get someone to do. <laughs> right. Uh, well, a lot of times theaters want to do it, but it's just one of those, they, they either don't have the space or the budget, you know, to do it exactly. well. So. Exactly. Um, so what are some of the other projects that are, that are going on? I mean, besides teaching and besides, you know, uh, you know, just waiting for theater to get back, what are some other things that are, that are on the horizon? Yeah. So of course my Ron Ford orchestra videos, I've, you know, I've been trying to record more of those lately. Um, it seems like a lot of people have been getting into that kind of deal too. Right. Um, I've actually been like arranging a little bit more lately. Um, and trying to get, you know, some more projects in terms of like uh, different kinds of ensembles I want to put together. Um, like I have an idea for a an ensemble of musical theater like doublers that can play their instruments at like an orchestral level, I guess. Um, and like I have like arranged, you know, a couple of different pieces for that kind of ensemble. So one person playing like you know three or four instruments uh, per book right. uh, or per part. Um, and I would love to take something like that to one of the, like the clarinet association, um, or clarinet fest or, uh, IDRS, uh, uh, convention, you know, those kind of things that would be really fun to, you know, do some kind of ensemble work like that. So that's kind of one thing I'm kind of working on uh, a little more recently and even trying to see if I can commission some works by that. So David, look out for uh, a message for me. Well, actually, yeah. Um, you know, I was going through earlier this week of just uh, unfinished works and I started a concerto for you, like when you started your doctorate journey. So that, that's yeah. how long ago it was. And it was about that time that I kind of got, I don't know, I fell out of love with the way, with the way I was writing at the time. Uh -huh. And actually I kind of, I, I listened to it and, and I like it now. The the thing is, is can I dive back into that voice without starting over? Because I had four minutes of music fully orchestrated. Oh, wow. You know, it was for a, it was for a chamber orchestra, and it's basically it was three movements with three. It's called triple cube. That's the working title. Uh -huh. and it's, um, each, so three three is everything, and I and I'm trying to actually be have have it all be like six to nine minutes per movement. So so it's this three is all over the place. You play three instruments per movement, and you play a different family of instruments right. each movement. So it's I remember like, talking about this. Like the first movement was going to be a single reed. Yeah, it's called single right? reed symphonia. So uh, and then <laughs> and, and then I the second movement you were going to do something with double reeds. I think reeds. it'll be a slow movement for the double reeds, but I'm not sure. Uh, but I have to yeah. check, and it'll be a the. The That's what we talked about. I, I was remembering all this, and you were trying to figure out something else with the flutes, the, the, the no reed instruments, or something like yeah, that the, for the last one. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm trying to, you know, I I love alliteration, so I had the SS. I'm going to do something DD and in in, uh -huh. but I don't know what. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have to dive back into that because I'm actually, it's weird. I just kind of got into listening to atonal music for and and, and this wasn't atonal. It's what I call. I don't know, multi-tonal with like, uh -huh. you know, some 
chords that intentionally aren't the ones you expect, you know, that type of right, thing. But right. it's it's like you can you can latch onto a tone center. It just it just changes a lot. But exactly. Um, yeah. But yes, certainly I try to <laughs> I have to put that back on my on my front burner. So um, where can people follow you and, you know, including projects like the Ron Ford Orchestra? Yeah. So um, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and on YouTube, um, uh, at Ron Ford Music. Okay. Yeah, I try to be as uh, simple as possible. And since everyone calls me Ron, uh, Ron Ford Music was really uh, the most simplest thing. And then also, also RonFordMusic.com. Uh, I've been uploading my videos there also, um, along with a lot. I'm doing a lot of shorter videos sometimes, and if I do those, I guess usually just upload them to Facebook to my uh, artist page. Yeah, for for the the young and upcoming musicians out there, uh, I just say if you can go ahead and just like even if you don't think you're going to use the social media right away, just go go log into everything with the same username. It's like just find it, you know, find a username you can use all through that. I didn't take that advice. I mean, of course, you know, I was 33 when I got my first social media, so you know, I wasn't kind of schooled <laughs> in this, but yeah, I, you know, some of them are the same and others are like, well, if you go to Facebook, you got to put an M, David M music. I think if you do that with Twitter mm-hmm. and then, but you can just do David Lane music if you go to <laughs> Instagram right. and it's just, I, in my website's David Lane music. It's just nice to have some consistency. Yeah. And I, I chose that name intentionally after making sure they were all available. <laughs> right. All websites. <laughs> well, it, it's smart because the easiest thing is, uh, you know, what, people in marketing are always telling musicians or of anybody, it's like, uh, easy access is what you want. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Ron, thanks for your time. Uh, th- this was, uh, this was a long, but I, I think it, the, the time was just right for all the content we talked about. So thanks for sharing your stories and for taking time to interview with me today. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure as always. Just a reminder, but all of the places that, Ron Ford mentioned where you can follow him and his projects. They will be in our show notes, and you can click on the links there. Be sure to tune in next Friday for episode 16. We are going to be talking to a harpist, and harp is an instrument that unless you have composed for it or played the instrument yourself, you probably don't know as much about it as you think you do, and if you don't think you know much about it, there's probably even more that you don't know about it. Uh, So we'll really be talking about that instrument and also how it's used in theater. So check that out next week on episode 16. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, I want to give a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. And for the time being, you can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening. 